Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are here with me today. We've got amazing, an amazing, amazing show in store for you today. I am truly, truly thrilled um, with my guests who I'll bring on in just a minute. Um, but first, of course, we have to get started with our quotes of the day from Mike Dooley in the universe and from Abraham. So let's see what the universe and Abraham have in store for us today. First, from the universe. Sometimes when you're ready for a change and you kind of know it but won't admit it, when it comes, not only are you surprised, but it hurts. Yeah, I know, that doesn't help much unless you remember the, quote, ready part, because there is simply no change that might ever transpire in time and space that happens before you're fully able to use it for your own growth and glory. Love watching you create the universe. Ah, we love Mike Dooley in the universe and his quotes. Um, this one kind of, I guess, trying to remind us that you know, uh, sometimes, you know, it's time for a change. We're ready for a change. It's time to do something different, something unusual. But, you know, we're a little timid. We're maybe afraid of the change. You know, we, 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 as human beings, we tend to resist change. Uh, but, but what the universe is saying here is that, you know what? It may be uncomfortable when change happens. But if it happens, that means it's time. It's ready. Even if you don't feel you're ready, it's time for that change to happen. Ah, love this quote. Uh, and I love the fact that my listeners are coming on. I started my Facebook Live video a little bit late today, um, but, but people are piling on now. Okay, let's see what Abraham has in store for us today. I'm, getting, I'm trying to run through my quotes quickly because I really want to get to my guests. Okay, from Abraham. Two statements that will serve you very well. The first is, there will always be war. There will always be those who aggravate within others a sense of trouble in order to promote the solution that they already have their mind made up about. And so you're never going to come into agreement as a mass consciousness that this is, quote, the way. There will always be disagreements. Therefore, there will always be turmoil. There will always be war. The other statement that is our favorite is well-being is always abound. So the dominant experience of the majority of people will always be one of well-being. So you can decide at any point in time in what part of this you want to play. You can use anything as your excuse to align with well-being or you can use anything as your excuse to not align. The thing that we think is the heart of the discussion is my own personal power. We think that it's what you are sort of struggling for and reaching for, Abraham. So uh, really, really good quote of the day. It's actually kind of like two quotes put together. Um, but, you know, sometimes, and, and, and I fall into this myself, we're striving, we want a world that's just peaceful. Can't people just get along? And why do we have to have conflict and this and that? And the truth is that, you know, we're, we're individuals, we're different, we have a different view of things, and so we're never going to be completely uh, in alignment with everything uh, that's else that's going on in the world. And so people are going to disagree, we're going to get into fights, we're going to, you know, say, no, this isn't right, no, that's not right, and, and we're going off in, in many different directions. So... This is not to say that there always necessarily needs to be violence, all right? There's a difference between conflict and violence. Um, but there is always going to be conflict uh, because we're not at that stage of evolution where we have a one hive mind where we're all completely connected in our consciousness. Not yet, anyway. But the other thing which should really kind of help to make us feel better is that just because there's conflict in the world doesn't mean we can't align with well-being inside of ourselves and with other people. It, it does not dis exclude the opportunity for us to really feel good in our skin, to really feel good about life, about 
the world, about this beautiful planet we live in. Not, not that there aren't things that we can do better, not that there aren't ways to improve upon things, but that, you know, we can align our energy with that which is authentic and real and true for us and that really it's completely up to us. It's, it's in our free will. It's our personal power. So um, just because there's conflict in the world doesn't mean we have to be upset or depressed or angry. Um, and and uh, it doesn't mean that we cannot actually um, move to a place of joy and well-being and really live from that, that really heart and spirit-centered place in our life. Um, so two wonderful, beautiful quotes from Mike Dooley in the Universe and from Abraham. I hope you enjoyed them. Um, and, and just give me two seconds. I just want to uh, give shout-out to the people on my Facebook Live. Mark, actually my guest who was on my show last week. Glad you were watching today. Fred, wonderful astrologer. Patty, thank you. Glad you're listening. Uh, Jonathan, Lakshmi. Oh, thank you, Lakshmi. saying she, she's tuning in right before going into a client session. I appreciate that. So now it is my extreme honor and pleasure to introduce to you my guests, uh, Dr. Raymond Moody, who, is an, who has an MD and a PhD, and he is the best-selling author, author of 12 different books, including the seminal work Life After Life, uh, Glimpses of Eternity, The Light Beyond, and Reunions, which have sold millions of copies worldwide. He has also authored numerous academic and professional articles on near-death experiences and the relationship of language to consciousness. Dr. Moody continues to draw enormous public interest with his groundbreaking works on the near-death experience and the other transpersonal aspects of grief and the dying process. In addition, we also have Lisa Smart, who is an author and speaker. Lisa is a linguist, educator, and author of Words at the Threshold, the book that is based on data collected through the Final Words Project, an ongoing study devoted to gathering and interpreting the mysterious language at the end of life. Lisa has co-facilitated presentations with Dr. Moody about language and consciousness at universities, hospices, and conferences, and it is my pleasure to have both you, uh, Dr. Moody and, and Lisa, um, on the show today. Welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour. Great Thank you here. so much, Sam. I am really delighted and happy to be with my colleague, Lisa, too. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm happy that you, you both are taking the time out of your busy schedules to come on our show today. So, so Dr. Moody, I have to start with you first because, uh, as I mentioned to you but before the show, you know, I learned about your books and, and read your books er, early on when I was just in, in high school and college. And, and I'm really just curious, like, what was sort of the initial uh, uh, thing that got you interested in this topic? Because at that time, nobody was talking about near-death experiences. It, it, was, it was very sort of outside the public norm. Uh, what was it that kind of uh, piqued your interest that, that you decided to really investigate and look at this? Well, first of all, Sam, thank you so much. And it's always great to hear from somebody who, you know, came across my work when they were kids. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much. Hope that doesn't make you and, feel too old. <laughs> uh, well, no, I am, I am delighted to be old. I'm 74. Oh, and, God bless. Uh, maybe that actually has a little bit of how, in terms of your question, is the, how I got interested in this. And let me just say from this, just... To, briefly, my dad was a military surgeon in the Pacific Theater in World War II, and you can imagine the personality that went with that, right? Mm, and yeah. he was very sarcastic about religion. Ah. Mainly, meanwhile, my mother's mother, it was religion was one of her favorite topics to make gentle fun of. Just very sweet person, but she did sort of poke fun at religion, and so. I grew up an astronomy buff, and um, when I was a kid, um, I spent a lot of time gazing through my telescope and reading nonsense books, like uh, Dr. Seuss was my favorite ah, author, and yes. Lewis Carroll, so I was yes. reading, always reading Horton, Here's the Who, and Alice in Wonderland, and so 
um, I had made up my mind as a kid that I mean it just never occurred to me anything other than that when you die you um you, you know the the consciousness just goes to zero i I never even understood that anybody um took the idea of an afterlife seriously mm. um the The only religion friends people I knew who who had any sort of religious, even a trace of religion, were were my Jew, my dad's Jewish physician friend, friends, mm. <laughs> and um, and my aunt, and and so on. So, I I knew a little bit about Judaism, but not anything about anything else. So, so I um, went off to UVA at age 18, intent on becoming a an astronomy major, but I quickly uh. got. Um, drawn away into philosophy because reading Plato's Republic, my first few days in college, I was 18 years old, Mm -hmm. and I read Plato's Republic, and I was hooked. Plato is still my favorite writer. And at the end of the Republic, this book, Republic, is really about a near-death experience more than anything else. And at the end, there's this amazing story of a soldier who was believed dead on the battlefield, but just revived during his funeral and told the story of leaving his body and going through a passageway into another world. And what really woke me up was that Plato, who even at that time was my hero immediately, that he obviously took this seriously. So that's where I got interested in it. That I and, uh. and my professor told me that there were other of these early Greek philosophers that had studied these cases of people who had almost died and been revived. And really interestingly, Sam, mm-hmm. they debated about it in the exact same way we do today. Plato looked at it and thought it indicated an afterlife. Meanwhile, his rough contemporary Democritus uh-huh. who had figured out that contrary to our sense perception that what we see, things in the world are made up of tiny little bits that are too mm-hmm. small to see, mm-hmm. namely atoms. Right. And so Democritus, in his writing about this phenomenon, said, well, look, this isn't the afterlife. He said that even after the body p- appears dead, he said there's no such thing as a moment of death. But even after that, when it appears death, there can still be residual biological activity in the body. So that's where I came into it as a philosophical controversy, never understanding that it was going on at the time. It never entered my mind. But in 1965, as uh, still at UVA, mm-hmm. I met a um, Dr. George Ritchie, who at that time was a professor of psychiatry there, who had had such an experience and was willing to talk to students about it. And I I was just riveted by Dr. Ritchie's story. I mean, to this day, he is the finest human being I ever knew. But Mm. to make a long story short, I went on, I got a PhD in philosophy. I was a philosophy professor for a while. And then went to medical school and became a psychiatrist. But all through this, um, beginning when I was a philosophy professor, I began to hear these stories from my students and my colleagues, actually, mm, and uh, when I, I would see. lecture at civic clubs around town and so on. So that's how it got started. And um, <clears throat> not having any template in my mind for thinking about life after death, which still seems to me very counterintuitive. Right. I'll tell you, Sam, it has taken me a long time to come to the position which I've recently been almost extruded from me more than anything else is that uh, I think this is real. <laughs> I mean, I, as you, you know, you saw in the book that I, I was just very undetermined at that time, but I, um, what has finally came about for me is that I hear lots of cases of physicians um, who resuscitated people who were right. near death, mm-hmm. who during the resuscitation would have some sort of empathic <clears throat> experience relating right. to the, the patient's near-death experience. And wow. so, see, that takes it out of the framework of, well, this is oxygen deprivation to the right, brain. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the 
the bystander, the doctor, or other bystanders at the death scene of somebody else mm-hmm. are not ill or injured themselves, but they have these same things. So, right, right. I, 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 yeah, I, that, I have to. So I have come around now to understand, to my astonishment, that. As I gather, there is an afterlife. Wow. So uh, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, I actually got a a little story to tell you about that. And then, uh, Lisa, I want to ask you what what got you interested in this. So um, if you could both please hold on. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And uh, uh, this is the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. And my guests this hour are Dr. Raymond Moody, author of the book Life After Life, as well as 11 other books, and uh, Lisa Smart, author of the book, uh, what was it again? Uh, Words at the Threshold. So everyone, please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. listening to the talking alternative network are you stuck in a rut negative thoughts feelings and conversations got you down hi i'm noreen sumter the potentiator tune in every tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m eastern time and listen for new ideas on my show beyond potential live life your way on talkradio.nyc Who do you want to connect with? Are you an entrepreneur or intrapreneur looking to build your following? Welcome to our show. Follow Follow Me Friday Friday with Joan and Priya. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern on talkradio.nyc. We're We're your your digital connectors. connectors. Woo! Woo! What's that? (laughs) (laughs) Talking Alternative Radio. 24 hours a day. And welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon Eastern Time to 1 p.m. Uh, a quick shout out to some of my peeps on the Facebook Live. Julian, uh, my dear friend Julian says, thanks for having the doctor on. Uh, Marcella, glad you could join us. Patty, uh, Patty says, uh, I loved your books. I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, reading them. Uh, Louise, nice to have you on. Marina, thank you for joining us. So you're pretty popular, Dr. Moody, with my audience. Um, oh, thank, every, thank you so much, everybody. That is so sweet. Yeah. And, and I have to tell you, you know, it was kind of funny hearing you talk about how you got into it because me growing up as a nice Jewish boy in the Bronx, you know, I, I grew up as a Jew. Um, though I lived in a very uh, Catholic neighborhood, there's a lot of Irish, Italian people in the neighborhood. But, you know, for me, growing up inside of Judaism, like I saw some of the hypocrisy. And so I, I kind of like veered away from that. But I saw the hypocrisy in Christianity, too, at least how the yeah. religion was being practiced. So I really didn't know what to believe in. And then when I was in high school, an upperclassman asked me what I thought about reincarnation. And I was like, what's that? And so the way he explained it to me, he said, well, it's kind of like you get to take third grade over and over again until you pass and then you graduate to fourth grade. Whereas the, the Western view of things is you take third grade once, you take this test at the end and you either pass or fail. And if you fail, you go to hell. And if you pass, you go to heaven. And I was like, well, if reincarnation is you get to do it over and over again, that sounds a lot more uh, kind to me. That sounds a lot more compassionate. And so if, and it's a big if, if we live in a compassionate universe, just reincarnation just made a lot of sense to me. But to your point about how people having experiences while other people transition or pass on, I had a, a good friend of mine tell me about um, this a boyfriend that she had who she was very close with, um, who I think she was like either in New Jersey or New York somewhere, and her boyfriend was in L- Las Vegas. 
And at like two or three in the morning, he passed away from a drug overdose. And she said she woke up in the woke at the up at that very time at and that looked ver- at the clock. Lo- looked at the clock, and then her <laughs> room was filled with this amazing, light. brilliant, golden light. Yeah. And that he was there before her, talking to her, telling her, "Don't worry, everything's fine. I'm going to be okay." And and then you know she she thought she was hallucinating. She thought she was crazy until she she you know didn't didn't even find out that he had passed away for two or three days, and then found out and investigated, and it turned out it was like right at that time. So like that's one of those things where you know she wasn't even in the same room with him, yeah, yeah and she had yeah. that experience. It is just you know I hear this very frequently too. Um, Sam, and um, at a certain point, I mean, it. I'll just tell you the truth. This sounds just really stupid in a way that what I'm going to say, <laughs> but it, but it is how I felt. I I got to admit that what finally brought me around to this, where I just give up, is <clears throat> that I have so many friends who have had very profound near death experiences mm. who are doctors. Right. Yeah. And I asked my friends, um, Eben Alexander, for example, the neurosurgeon. Oh yes. Um, doc, Dr. Anthony Chikoria. You you should talk to him too. He's in upstate New York. He's a oh, okay. professor of orthopedic surgery. And and I could go on and on and on with physician friends of mine, right. Dr. O'Driscoll in in Utah, who have had these experiences and who absolutely assure me, yeah, this was real. Now, then I ask myself, if I had, for example, a, a, a surgery, like had something happened to my foot, heaven forbid, but mm-hmm. let's say it did, would I go to Anthony Chikoria and turn my life and foot over him? <laughs> to him you know? Right. Uh, and I say absolutely yes. Yeah. Same for Eben Alexander. Same for Dr. O'Driscoll. Yeah. And so you see what I'm getting at is yes. what basis do I have to, to question their unanimous opinion mm. that the experience they had was not only real, but more real than this that we're experiencing now. Mm. So finally, I'm just into a point where I give up. Yeah. I, I mean, I gather there is a life after death. Yeah. Um, Lisa, let, let's bring you into the conversation. I'm just curious, what was the initial thing that got you interested in this topic? Um, my father's uh, dying process over three weeks. I read Raymond Moody's book when I was 17, and like a lot of people, ah. I was awestruck and very curious, but I was Man. certainly never thought that I would be spending years of my life in this field, which is, I'm, now I'm so delighted and honored to be doing so, but never never had a, identified myself in that way, you know, that I was um, you know, a consciousness researcher. You know, I, didn't, I just didn't think of it, but I, like so many people at the time, I read the book and was completely intrigued. And then years and years and years passed, and, um, and then on my 53rd birthday, my father um, got a very serious infection as a result of treatment he received for cancer. Mm-hmm. They um, over-radiated him, and he got a very uh. serious infection. <clears throat> and on my birthday, um, he uh, became very, very ill, and, and over a three-week period, um, died. And I was bedside with him every day after work. I, I was with him. And my training was as a linguist. I went to UC Berkeley, and my work involved working with people, adults mostly, who had trouble, had dyslexia. Mm -hmm. And so I was working with the processes of cognition, how people coded language and ideas and so forth. So I was really interested in words and uh, its relationship to both cognition and, by extension, consciousness. Mm So I was there at my father's bedside, and you're from New York, and you're a New York Jew, as my father was, so um, (laughs) you may understand this. My father was one of those cigar-chomping guys who Uh, didn't believe in anything, (laughs) (laughs) anything beyond this world. He was a complete skeptic, to put it mildly. And um, so he, as he was entering and moving into this process of dying, I, I witnessed changes not only in his personhood, but in his language, and the first oh. thing that um, blew me away is when he started talking about seeing angels in the room. 
Really? And that was from a father who um, was very, you know, I never expected to hear such things from him. So, uh-huh. but I also noticed his language became rich. I mean, mm-hmm. He was already, um, he loved poetry, so he was already a poetic person, but the metaphors he was using um, oh. and the language was both, uh, it was just compelling and, and also nonsensical, and mm. as well as, you know, filled with this uh, almost majesty when I was talking about the angels coming into the room and so forth. So I just started writing everything down that he said, because trained as a linguist and working mm. with adults who struggled with um, reading, I just learned to, to do, you know, what they call it error analysis, right? You write down the words and you try to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I transcribed all his final words over a period of three weeks. And at the end of it, I was awestruck by what I had seen. Uh-huh. And I thought, I went up the street. He was in Berkeley at the time. My family had moved to Berkeley. I went, as I said, I went to UC. So I went up to the library after my father passed, uh, expecting to find an abundance of, abundance of material about um, language at end of life. I went to the linguistics department. thought there'd be plenty of it. There's a lot right. written about language acquisition in the beginning of life. Right. So, and I was stunned to see there was nothing. Nothing. Wow. And um, so then I just became obsessed and curious and passionate about finding out what happens uh, with people's final words and also how language seems to track the consciousness. My father, right before he passed away, um, three days before, he said, the angels, the angels, the angels say enough, only three days left. And wow. indeed, three days later, he passed on, and this is from a man who never believed in angels, right? So what was going on? Wow, wow that's amazing. That's amazing. And so how did you connect with uh, Dr. Moody? How did the two of you meet? Um, as I said, I became, I started reading everything I could find that had to do with death and dying and transpersonal aspects of death and dying. Mm-hmm. And I rediscovered Raymond's books, and I read through them, and synchronistically, about six weeks after my father, maybe it was a little more, maybe eight weeks after my dad died, mm-hmm. uh, my mom had a friend who was co-teaching a course with Raymond in Alabama. Ah. And it was actually at Temple. <laughs> and ah. um, he said, how's Lisa doing? And then she mentioned that I was really curious about final words. And he said, my, I'm teaching a workshop with Raymond Moody, and maybe she should come and spend time with us. And indeed, I jumped on a plane and went to Alabama for a week. And uh, on the fourth day, uh, Raymond started speaking about his background in the philosophy of language, specifically nonsense, so what we think of as nonsense, Mm. language that's not completely unintelligible to us. And as soon as he started talking about the enigmatic quality of uh, language at the end of life and his incredible research in um, nonsense, I I just thought, oh my goodness, I would love to study with this man. And so I left behind my life in Napa, California. Oh, wow. Got my uh, car with my dear husband. Our kids were pretty much out of the house and Ah, grown up. Came out here to uh, Georgia and... um, started uh, working with Raymond's guidance. Wow. He's been an incredible mentor. I've been very blessed. Wow, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, great. I have tons and tons of questions for the two of you. Um, it's, it's time for us to take another quick break. Um, when we come back, um, I just want to ask uh, uh, one or two questions more about uh, near-death experiences, and then I want to get into more about this idea of, of, of nonsense and, and language towards the end of life and, and what does it really indicate, okay? Great. Wonderful. Thank well, you. everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. My guests this hour are Dr. Raymond Moody and Lisa Smart, and we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
Do you like comic books and movies? How about TV and pop culture? Then you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Michael Dolce, host of Secrets of the Sire. Joined every week by my co-host, Hassan, Lord of the Radio Godwin. Together, we have over 15 years' experience creating graphic novels, screenplays, and more. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. I need you to bring the speaker down a little bit. Um, so, uh, uh, Dr. Moody, I just want to ask you, um, you know, there have been so many amazing stories, and I've had many, many guests on my show who have had near-death experiences, and, and in a certain percentage, not a very large percentage, but a certain percentage uh, of those cases, the near-death experience has actually like triggered psychic abilities or or, yeah. or or other things that we don't normally have access to. And so, I'm just curious of your view on like why would that happen? Well, you know, I thought a lot about that, Sam. And I, the first I ever remember hearing that from a person, was a wonderful woman named Frances Stokes, who was a receptionist for one of my um, dad's medical colleagues and when she was a child I think 11 years old she had almost drowned and uh. she had this um, phenomenal near-death experience but she said that ever since then um, she would say that for example just getting into an elevator with somebody it was like she could sense exactly what was going on with them. Mm. Now, she never put this in terms of psychic abilities or anything like that, but, um, she, and I, but I've heard that subsequently from many, many people, that it opens you up to other people in a very profound way. And I don't know why that should be. And... Um, I thought maybe you know it's this opens people up to their feelings and and you know one one thing that one reason that we have trouble computing other people's feelings is that if we're not in touch with our own mm, and so on. Yes. And, but I don't know the <laughs> answer to your question, but it's very interesting. And I have finally come to acknowledge myself from undeniable personal experiences that. There is some kind of transmission sometimes of information in a, mm. in a way that doesn't conform to the order I know of as a logician. Right, right. And I just want to go back real briefly to what you had said earlier, that now after all these years of research and all the books you've written, that you really do believe that, that uh, there is some kind of life after death. There is some kind of our consciousness does still continue in some fashion. Um, I'm just curious, like, what kind of implications does that have, though, for our daily life? I mean, is yeah. it uh, because you're not, uh, again, somebody who necessarily adheres to uh, traditional standard religions, so it, it, what does this really mean to us uh, in our lives today? Well, what I have come to see, well, actually, I've seen this a long, long time ago, and <clears throat> that is that <clears throat> everybody is chasing something. Almost every adult that I know is chasing something. Okay. Some of them chase power or fame or money. I have spent my life chasing knowledge, right? But right. whatever anybody is chasing, uh, when they have this experience, they come back and say that what this is all about is learning to love. Uh, and um, and they also always acknowledge immediately that, that the experience doesn't make it 
that any easier. <laughs> People say that then during this experience, they see every action they have ever done in a timeless state of consciousness, mm. like in a kind of panorama. And mm. they say when you review your life, you don't review it from the point of view just of your own perspective on the situ- on the action when it took place, mm. but rather you are in empathically embedded in the consciousness of the people with whom you interacted. So if you see yourself doing a mean-spirited action to somebody, then you feel that person's hurt. Or conversely, if you see yourself doing a kind-hearted action, you feel the good feelings you brought about. And so that is where I have come to it, is that what this is all about is I gather two things. Number one, to learn to love. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing that people say often, almost as a sort of grace note rather than as a profound theme, they say that when they see scenes in this review in which they had been learning something or, or studying, mm-hmm. that this being of light who is with them to help them through the, this review. Some people say God, some people mm-hmm. say an angel, some people say Christ or who, whatever, the description is always the same, whatever name is put on it, namely Uh a being of complete compassion and love who sees everything you've ever done Mm. and is sort of trying to help you understand this. And they say this being, that it's, there are no words, but that the thought comes. Mm. What have you done, uh, what if, how have you learned to love? Something along Mm. those lines. Now, wow. lest we, I might be provoking a hyperventilation spell <laughs> in some <laughs> listeners who are thinking, oh my gosh, I don't, I'm not very loving, I mean, I just have trouble with that, and so on. Well, don't worry, because I, even after people come back to say this, they say it's still very difficult to put it into practice. Yeah. That, um, and, but, but generally speaking, the, some of these people I've known for decades, and and it really is obvious that they really have tried in their lives. Uh, a lot of them end up, you know, my friend George Rishi used to get up 4 o'clock every morning to pray and meditate mm-hmm. before he started his day seeing mm-hmm. his patients. And George once told me, he said, Raymond, this experience makes your humanity even more of a burden in a way. And, and what he was getting at mm-hmm. is that, Let's face it, you know, it's very hard to get through the average day without wanting to choke at least one person. (laughs) Well, that doesn't go away. You're still embedded in your humanity. But it does bring people on this quest. And uh, and secondarily, this uh, idea of learning. Mm -hmm. I've done the learning very well, but I'm, I'm worried about my score on the... The love test. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that I can recuse myself from my oh, life. Oh, I mean, I have to test it anyway. That's another story. You're, right. you're, well, su- you're a sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you probably do just fine. Um, I, I do want to, Lisa, I, wa- I do want to bring you in and actually ask you about the Final Words Project. Since this is really sort of the heart of your book, um, what brought about this project? And I just thought if you could explain it briefly to our audience of, of, of you know, how you started it and what's it all about. Um, I started it in 2014 by the time I came to Georgia and began to get to know Raymond better and began to do some book research about final words. The, the little bit that exists out there and just the whole field of consciousness research. So, you know, I did my own groundwork and just began um, speaking to people about their experiences with final words. And one of the kind of barriers I had to cross in this process is I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to go back to school and get a Ph.D. to do this research. And when I inquired with various graduate programs, people were a little uncomfortable with the idea of mm. collecting um, final words, right? Because right. of all the ethical issues concerned, and that's kind of completely understandable. So I really right. I had to um, spend a few years figuring out how to collect the data because I wanted to learn more. And I decided, and with uh, Raymond's guidance as well, to really do a more informal research study. Mm-hmm. And one 
um, one that really promoted healing. You know, I okay. wanted a, a, a form of research that also was a healing uh, inquiry. So um, what I discovered is the best way to do this and what the Final Words Project is about is I invited people to collect, um, to transcribe and share their final words accounts with their loved ones. And uh. I also asked healthcare professionals um, to do so confidentially or, you know, with the permission, of course, of, of families. Right. And then I just interviewed for more general themes. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, one of the biggest things I, I did have to confront, as I mentioned a little bit, is the whole ethical uh, concerns because, um, for example, my grandmother, uh, right before she died, she called me into her hospital room and she told me um, that I was her favorite grandchild. Mm. Um, you know, we were both kind of short, nosostic, <laughs> a little chubby. Uh -huh. We loved chocolate. We were both uh, love, had a love for language and so forth. And she just right. opened up her heart and told me this. So then, um, of course, six months later, I'm walking with my other two cousins, and guess what? <laughs> she brought each one into her room as she was dying and said exactly <laughs> the same thing, <laughs> that they were each her favorites. And so one of the questions I had to confront is, you know, if she had a tape recorder at her bedside, I would have robbed her of that opportunity to tell each of us that right. we were her favorites, right? Mm. So. Um, I, I decided with the Final Words Project, I really wanted to collect the data. And as a linguist and with Raymond's incredible um, background in his research in unintelligibility, using the tools that I was gathering and I had some linguistics, I wanted to begin to, you know, collect these samples. And I decided um, that the uh, most ethical way and most healing was to invite families to to only share what they felt comfortable sharing right. and so forth. And some people had um, recorders by the side of the bed, but in most cases they just did it. They had like a journal right. they have had. So I have a website called thefinalwordsproject.org, and um, it has also the capability for people to share and submit stories that way. And we ask questions about medications. You know, we, we ask, ask some of the background questions. So I've gathered data online. And also through people I've just um, who've been generous enough to uh, write down their, their loved ones' final words, and um, and we talk about them. And what's what's remarkable is for so many people who have had this process of transcribing their loved ones' final words, it's almost as if they were able to enter into their loved ones' consciousness, and it's mm. really opened up the doors for more powerful connections at end of life. Wonderful. And once again, if if people want to submit it, the website is www.thefinalwordsproject.org? Yeah, no the. No the. So oh, no the. Okay. And there's also lots of information about the language of end of life that, that could be helpful. I hope will be helpful to people. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, Lisa. Okay. It's, it's time for us to take, believe it or not, our last break of the show. Oh, my God. I could have you guys on for like hours and hours. Um, but let's take this last little break. And when we come back, um, I want to uh, talk about um, uh, something you guys are working on uh, upcoming, the University of Heaven. Okay? Great. Thank you. Wonderful. So we'll be right back after these messages you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we're live every thursday 12 noon to 1 p.m eastern right here on talkradio.nyc and on facebook live and we'll be right back after these messages you're listening to the talking alternative network Best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I'm very, very thrilled that this hour my guests have been Dr. Raymond Moody and uh, Lisa Smart. Um, and, and Dr. Moody, I want to get right into it. You, you're working on a project to be coming out later this year called the University of Heaven. I was wondering if you could briefly tell our audience all about it. Yes, thank you so much, Sam. And Lisa and I are working on this together. And you can reach us at theuniversityofheaven.com. And what this is all about, I'm sure you too, Sam, because you're obviously really fascinated by this whole area. And I'm sure that, like us, you have observed that sometimes some of the material that comes out is not the most reliable, if you understand what I mean. No, absolutely. And a certain amount of self-serving and so on. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I had always wanted some sort of forum. I love to teach, and, mm -hmm. and so um, a forum where we could have really reliable information about near-death experiences and other kinds of spiritual experiences right. for people. So, we have been... Uh, having uh, webinars uh, with uh, Eben Alexander, for example, yes. and uh, also Melvin Morse um, mm -hmm. and, um, and Dr. O'Driscoll in Utah, who, who this phenomenal experience that he had. Um, Jeff Olson is a graphic artist who was in a horrible car crash, and mm -hmm. his wife was killed instantly, and one of his children. But Ooh. and he almost died. He lost a leg in the operation, and I mean, in the uh, crash. And right. you know, just a horrible situation. But he had this profound near-death experience. And right. to make a long story short, as he got to acknowledging that something had happened to him, he found out that Doctor O'Driscoll, who was an emergency room doctor when Jeff came into the hospital, that while Jeff was in the hospital, you know, whether he was going to survive or not, they didn't know, but while Jeff was in the hospital, Dr. O'Driscoll saw and conversed with uh, Jeff Olson's deceased wife. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So we have a great interview with him and Jeff Olson and so on, and that sort of thing. So we're getting really reliable people to come and do webinars with us. Um, and uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Tony Chikoria at NYU, mm -hmm. I guess you've heard about him. He's the professor of orthopedic surgery who became a concert pianist after his near-death experience <laughs> and, wow. uh, because he... Something in the experience inspired him to music. So now, in addition to being a distinguished orthopedic surgeon professor, he's a, a concert pianist. And so all of these wonderful people, and uh, Lisa and I are, you know, not being very focused on the monetary side of life. She and mm. I are always kind of struggling. And so yeah. we figure that most of the people who are our friends and who are interested in this are having trouble too so so we try you know we have to charge something because this is a of course. you know it's expenses involved in it but we we try to keep the cost very low so that people can have access to these um uh courses that are coming mm -hmm. up we have a 
bunch of new courses coming in. So I'm just really delighted about it. So please go to our website and take a look. Absolutely. It's uh, com. Yeah. And Lisa, poor Lisa, is the organizer. I, <laughs> I have Asperger's syndrome, and one of my, oh. my um, problems is that I anything to do with numbers and organization is beyond me. But she's done a really great job in uh, organizing this. And well, so we're having a really good time with it, and please... Please join us. Everybody just uh, look at our website and see what you think. Well, absolutely. And, and, and we, we don't want to hear you and Lisa are struggling for f- finances, <laughs> so we'll definitely do our best to get the word out there and, and promote it. Um, Lisa, the, uh, when does the university, has it launched already or is the university launching? Yes, we've been up and running for, um, I think, about 17 weeks now. Ah, and, okay, wonderful. Uh, yeah, and one of the things, too, I'm really proud of, and it is free because it's our blog, uh-huh. we have just got these amazing authors who are post, you know, do post. We have Kenneth Ring, who is a major contributor in NDE research, Paul Perry, um, uh, Melvin Morris, uh, Rachel ha- Dr. Rachel Harris, who wrote oh. the book about Iowa. Yes, I've had, Rachel, I've had Rachel on my show. I actually she's, got her in studio. She's wonderful. I love she's Rachel. And what's so exciting is on February 5th, she and Raymond, we're going to have a live webinar with the two of them in conversation about near-death experiences. Oh, I definitely I have to tune in for that one. So, oh, good. So, so <laughs> since you brought it up, I actually had had this question in the back of my mind, and oh. I didn't think we'd have time to get to it or not. But I'm just curious, maybe, Lisa, if you can touch upon it briefly, and then, Dr. Moody, if you can uh, respond to this as well, which is um, there's a, such a huge resurgence in, in the research in, now into psychedelics, into psilocybin, ayahuasca, and DMT, and, and sort of what that indicates about consciousness. And so I'm just curious as to you know, what your perspective is on it at the moment, which I know can shift and change, you know, depending on how, where life takes us. But I'm just curious, how do you see that playing into all of this? I think uh, Raymond's probably better prepared in terms of maybe some of the scientific and medical okay. um, underpinnings. Well, but what, oh, yeah, go ahead, Raymond. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, I have thought a lot about this. And um, <clears throat> on, a, on a philosophical level, before I went to medical school, Sam. I had a PhD in philosophy, and I still look at consciousness not yet as a real scientific question, but it's still a philosophical question. I mean, Uh, really, in reality, we just don't have the right techniques yet for studying consciousness scientifically. It's more a conceptual thing, right? right? And Uh so I take it, I mean, I understand that Shamans throughout history and so on, uh, and, and and people, kids, people in our our society, occasionally use psychoactive substances to to uh, enter into uh, profound spiritual states. And uh, I attended a seminar in about 1978 in Texas on this, like a very academic seminar on okay. this. Okay, it was pointed out that. A lot of these plants that create these psychedelic effects, uh-huh. that when you study them, the the psychedelic compound in them doesn't do anything for the plant. Right. <laughs> and that what they think happens is that this is this is a, a selection, right? That mm-hmm. it, it, if a certain vine gives you a buzz then you're going to plant those seeds, right? And then over a period of time, it will get better and better and better. Right. And, and so it does seem to approximate some of the kinds of things that people report in near-death experiences and so on. And uh. um, I am very interested in this, but the answer I could give you, Sam, will just sound psychotic, but <laughs> if there are any philosophy students listening in they'll kind of get what i'm talking about right i to me consciousness is exists because i can i can perceive my consciousness Mm -hmm. directly right but as to the physical world as the great george barclay the great 18th century philosopher pointed out 
that the only thing we can really know is consciousness and recurrent patterns in our consciousness, right? But, mm-hmm. but I did, you can tell I don't really know much about this. I've studied it a little mm-hmm. bit, and I, I can't wait to hear from Rachel because, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm re- like I said, I'm a, I am really a ty- like a beginner in this. Yeah. I'm, um, well, I, I, you know, this is something that, that's a, a real passion of mine. I have many friends, many people I know who are involved in this. And and uh, in particularly lately, I've been hearing a lot about the DM, the five meo DMT mm-hmm. experiences mm-hmm. and the sense of oneness and the connection yeah. to like everything that is. So I find it really fascinating in that, especially at this time, it's become uh, such a a, a, a real uh, uh, interest in so many people in in a much more mature way than it did yeah. maybe in the sixties yeah. and seventies. And, you know, I we're hearing about, and Stan Groff did this work years oh, yeah, ago, Stan, that right. people on the deathbed, you know, as they're dying, being given certain substances to facilitate their connection to something um, really that holds them and makes their passing feel very safe and magnificent for those who are not having that kind of experience. Right. Or for those who are, and also that people can have uh, my... Um, Uncle's a doctor, and he's been doing ketamine research, which oh, is really fascinating. Yes, so yes. it just seems as part of this whole exploration of consciousness that's going on and tapping the field in more expansive ways to help all of us along, uh, whether we're alive or whether we're in the process of dying. Yes. But there's no doubt that there is something to be tapped into and that there are many ways to do that. I yes. mean, the near-death experience is one way that yes. happens, but it doesn't have to be that way. One of the things I'm very curious about when we speak to Rachel and, and I hear um, Raymond's ex- conversation with her is what are the differences about between ayahuasca and the NDE? Right, and, right. and how, you know, what are the similarities and what are the differences? Because the longing um, to expand our consciousness I think is very profound and I think it's a real healing source for many of us it, no matter how it And I would also recommend you contact, if you can, Michael Pollan, who recently Mm -hmm. wrote the book about, you know, change your mind, um, because a lot of the research that that he kind of put together that's happening right now about psilocybin research at the universities and helping, you know, cancer patients um, to be uh, to really be okay with uh, uh, death and dying and what's happening like that, I find very fascinating. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of the show. I, I, I've just totally loved our conversation. I would love to have you both uh, back on again in the future. And you have to right. promise me, if you ever make it up to New York City, you got to let me know so we can actually get the get you guys here in studio. I would love that. Oh, that would be great. Oh, great, Sam. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Wonderful, yeah, wonderful. So once again, your websites are um, uh, uh, the, the University of Heaven dot com the and mm-hmm. <laughs> Final Words dot org. Wonderful, and we'll I've posted them into the the Facebook Live video, and we'll post them when, when the podcast goes up uh, oh, later today. You. So, so Lisa Smart, Dr. Raymond Moody, thank oh. you so much for taking your time to come oh. on to the Conscious Consultant Hour. I really appreciate it. And if you can connect me to Dr. Eben Alexander, I'd love to get him on as well. Oh, great, 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 great. great. Yeah. Like He's really oh, a terrific so guy. He is thank great. You. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I also want to thank our listeners, everybody on the yes. Facebook Live um, and people <laughs> listening through talkradio.nyc. Thank all of you for coming on and listening to the show. I appreciate all of you because without you, there is no show. So uh, um, uh, tomorrow, of course, we have our, our other shows on the network. Uh, Follow Me Friday with Joan and Priya at 12 noon and Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio at 1 p.m. tomorrow. Thank you all for tuning in and listening, and we will talk to you next week. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. 
Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. you like comic books and movies? How about TV and pop culture? Then you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Michael Dolce, host of Secrets of the Sire. Joined every week by my co-host, Hassan, Lord of the Radio Godwin. Together, we have over 15 years' experience creating graphic novels, screenplays, and more. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, talkradio.nyc. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network, 